The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? and the money given to the poor. They said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I ask, as always today, that we join our hearts together in prayer. Living God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I was young and desperate to prove myself in the summer of my rookie year on staff for Foxfire. The year before, I had been a participant in this program, a week-long Boy Scout National Youth Leadership Training Camp, and I had loved every second of it. I soaked up as much of every lesson as I could, and I wanted so desperately to be part of the elite scouts who were selectively picked to be staff. Here it was, the next year, and in the scorching summer sun, I found myself a rookie on staff eager to make a name for myself. It was a hot day as we worked to prepare for our week of camp and for the hundred young men who would be descending on our program the next day. On this particular hot afternoon, I was assigned to work with three of the older scouts on staff to split the large logs that would be used for our bonfire that week. Here it was, my chance It was a brawny task that would show my strength and my willingness to work, just me, and a mountain of logs, an axe, and a hunger to prove myself. I started chopping. I was so eager that I took to the whole task by myself. I was grabbing the logs and splitting them and moving them to a new pile all on my own. The three older scouts stood back and watched me. In hindsight, there were probably some bemused looks and eye rolls going on amongst them, but I didn't notice. I was focused. Log after log, whack after whack, split after split, my axe soared through the air, whistling the song of my strength. After a while, I looked over at the pile of split logs that I'd created. It wasn't very impressive. We had a mountain of wood to get through, but I hadn't made much progress. The abnormally hot sun for early June beat down on my neck and I was pouring sweat. Grabbing my next log, I was sucking wind at this point, but doing my best not to show it. I had senior Foxfire staff to impress. I couldn't show them 
that I was weak. Again and again, the swish and thwack of my stubborn, prideful desire for notoriety rang through the air, and then it happened. I raised the axe over my head, and I wobbled. I wasn't breathing enough. I was sweating too much. The tunnel vision started to set in, and the world that I could see started to swim. But from what seemed like an impossible distance, I became aware of a hand on my shoulder. I stood there dazed, axe still raised, and I saw the hand belong to my senior patrol leader. With one hand still on my shoulder, he reached up and grabbed the axe handle. He looked in my eyes, which were struggling to maintain focus, and said simply, My turn. I felt so defeated. I felt like such a failure. I wasn't strong enough to cut all the wood by myself. I sat there drinking my water and hating every drop of weakness in that bottle, and I watched the senior staffers set to work. One grabbed a log and set it up. One chopped, and one grabbed the split pieces and stacked them again. And as I caught my breath, I watched this efficient system work. When the one chopping got tired, he handed off to another, and they rotated through. Soon, when I had caught my breath, they invited me back over to assist in stacking, so the whole process ran efficiently. We worked wordlessly, which was no small feat for this crew. But no lesson needed to be spoken aloud. No rebuke was needed. With nothing more than the two words, my turn, ringing in my ears, I knew what I needed to do. When the axe finally found its way back into my hands, I chopped, but not until I dropped. I chopped until I knew it was time to hand it off. My turn. It wasn't a condemnation or a mark of failure. It was a reminder from a friend, a promise that said, you're not alone. You never were. Throughout this season of Lent, we have been focused on the theme of turn. We've talked about what it means to turn, be turned, and return. We've talked about metanoia, or a turning of our hearts and minds in a way that is Godward. We've talked about turning our lives to face the promises of God that are all around us in great and ordinary ways. We've talked about following in the ways of the gospel that is turning the world upside down. We've talked about turning our world down paths of justice for the sake of the oppressed. We've talked about turning the tables through love and mercy on those who would seek to oppress God's children. So much of this talk puts focus and action on our shoulders. Sometimes we need this, to be awoken and shaken out of our complacency. We hear these things and we remain deeply convicted of our need to act. We feel called and bound to the need to find our way to the path of righteousness and piety in God's holy name. We may have reached this moment at the end of our Lenten journey, wearied by the tasks at hand. We may doubt our own strength to accomplish this task and live up to our lofty calling. 
We may be remembering the times throughout this season that we failed in our Lenten disciplines. We may be recalling the sins that were on our hearts as we came to confession this morning, and the sting of guilt and shame may be dragging us down. We may ask in weary wonder if at the end of this Lenten journey, do I have the strength and the faith to turn? Will I disappoint my God? Dear church, as the weariness of this long Lenten season sets in and the sweat of shame stings your eyes and the haze of guilt clouds your mind to tunnel vision, I pray that you feel a hand on your shoulder. Look up and see that another hand is already closed around the acts of our own piety and righteous deeds. Stare into the face of Christ today and hear his words of hope. It's God's turn. Our gospel lesson today tells us a story of God's turn beginning. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Before his death, Mary anoints Jesus. Before his passion, Mary anoints Jesus. Before his saving work would be made complete, Mary anoints Jesus. Before Christ would be raised in glory upon the cross, Mary anoints Jesus. Before Christ the King would be hung upon his throne, Mary anoints Jesus. This anointing was a sending, a commissioning, a handing off. With this abundant blessing, God was being sent to save. God's people had struggled for far too long to save themselves from sin and death. Mary's sign of abundant trust made one message loud and clear. It's God's turn. We do not need to be the agents of our own salvation. We cannot save ourselves. It's God's turn. The word at the heart of our Lenten journey each year is repentance, turning from sin to follow God's ways. What is repentance if not handing the axe off to God? What is repentance if not realizing that we were never capable of saving ourselves? Try as we might through good deeds and holy fear, and so we hand off saving work back to God. Repentance is a disregard of our own human strength and a trust in God's abundant mercy. Repentance is acknowledging the ways we've failed and refusing to walk in those ways again. Repentance is giving up, handing over the axe in failure only to be told with peace that surpasses all understanding, you were not alone. You never were. Mary's act was excessive. It could even be considered wasteful. But in the parable of the prodigal father, as I called it last week, we've talked about the ways that God is wasteful in loving us, loving us even when we refuse to accept it. As God's love is abundant, as God's mercy is abundant, as God's grace is abundant, so too are we called to make our trust in God abundant. We will fail at this. And again and again, we'll hear this promise. You're not alone. 
You never were. It's God's turn. So much of our sin and failure is an attempt to be our own saviors. We take power over others in big ways and in small, but this power belongs to God alone. We do works thinking that this is what will make us holy, but God alone sanctifies. We believe that we're supposed to work and earn what we get because that's the way our world has taught us to be, but God's grace is never something we can earn or deserve. Believing all of this requires an abundant trust and a willingness to receive salvation as a gift. This may seem impossible at times. As we hand off, as we say God's turn, we'll find that God is giving us new strength, making us a new creation, that we might serve not with our own hands, but with Christ's hands. See, we're not off the hook for serving, for acting in God's name, but when we put our trust in God's abundant mercy, we'll see that we don't serve alone. We never did. We will live and serve in newness of life. As we serve in this new life, we are not alone. We are part of a church, God's people, who are failing and turning, self-justifying and turning, trying to manufacture our own salvation and turning, and hopefully at some point, finding genuine trust in the action of God. And, th and there we will find that God is at work and always has been. You're not alone. You never were. God uses us, the church, Christ's hands and feet in the world to work for justice and hope here on earth. But it's one thing to do this work when we think we're alone, when we're under the delusion that the whole wood pile is for us. It's another thing to hear the promise in this trusting word, God's turn. In this trust, my work becomes our work, and our work is God's work. I invite you to carry this phrase on your hearts as we journey forward, friends. It's God's turn. This is a word of hope and deep faith, anointing God to do the work God set out to do through Christ and through us, that we might know here and now, you are not alone. You never were. As the church commemorates the life and death of the German theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer this Tuesday, I'd like to conclude with a poem that Bonhoeffer wrote from prison shortly before his death that speaks to this journey of doubt and trust. Bonhoeffer wonders poetically, who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint 
and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woebegone weakling? Or is something within me, still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am yours. Doubts, fears, and a desire to save ourselves will be with us on this journey, as Pastor Bonhoeffer shares so well. What matters in the end is that through it all, we put our trust in God. We put our trust in our belonging to God. We put our trust in our salvation. And so this coming Holy Week, that begins on Palm Sunday, I invite you to worship. Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, the great vigil of Easter and Easter morning. Join in worship. Anoint the Lord with praise, with prayer, with your presence, that the Lord will fulfill the Lord's promises. Hand off the axe. Trust that God is with us, that God is working. Rest for a moment and see God's work, God's story of salvation, play out in ways we could never accomplish alone. Let the story of God's love unfold before you and find a new hope with which to trust in God's promises. Holy Week is about returning to a promise. It's God's turn. It always has been. It always will be. It's God's turn. You're not alone. You never were. Amen.